The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 145. This is a Psalm of David. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness, and shall sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look expectantly to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will hear their cry and save them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh shall bless his holy name forever and ever. And those words back up in verse 18 reflect something that Judy just asked me about. She was talking about the Christians that are at the rapture, and what about the people that thought they were Christians? And I said, they're not going. That You are either in Christ or you're not in Christ. And it says here, to the Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. There's a difference between calling on Jesus in an apostate church that doesn't really believe anything and those who truly believe in Jesus, who have truly called on him. Those who think that they're Christians that are teaching all of these crazy things in churches all over the world, they ain't going. They're going to be faced with a choice at the tribulation period. They've got a choice of taking the mark of the beast or losing their head. That is it. Those are the only two options that the Bible gives. Now, some people will survive through it probably, and, you know, they will, they will be a part of the millennium. They won't have died for Christ. But the good thing about losing your head in the tribulation period is you become a part of the first resurrection. You're immediately resurrected, and you will go all the way through the millennial reign with Christ. Okay? That is a good thing. But people have to understand that they've got to lose their head in the process. Die for the sake and the name of Christ. Let's not be a part of that. Let's be out at what I talked about today, the rapture. Let's be gone because it is going to happen. If this word has any surety at all, it is fully sure. It is fully competent to explain to us what is coming. Okay. Um, uh, let's see. I had one more thing I wanted to tell you before we got into the sermon today. Oh, I uh, was sitting there thinking last night about um, 
Actually, nothing. I was just doing something. I was doing some emails and stuff. Well, well I mean, uh, not about the Bible. I was, I was thinking about doing emails and stuff, and all of a sudden, something dawned on me right out of the book of Ruth. I mean, it just popped in there. I wasn't thinking about it, and it is about the husband of Ruth. His name was Mahlon, or Malone, we say, okay? And it suddenly dawned on me, I need to re-preach the entire book of Ruth to add that in because it is a really cool thing. It's, I, what I'll do is I'll type it up and I'll let you know about it. And I told Sergio he might make what he calls a God smack out of it. He, he does these short little two-minute videos on cool things in the Bible. Very cool. If you want to uh, subscribe to that as well. But uh, I, I have to tell you what. I had never considered this when I was doing the book of Ruth, and I've never seen anybody else comment on it. And it just popped in there, and I went to Isaiah, sure enough, and I went to this verse. It, it Beautiful picture of Christ and us. Okay, wow. Anyway, just want to get that out of you in case I kick off today and then you don't know that I found something finally. Anyway, hey, we don't know the day of our passing. That's all I can say. So whenever I go anywhere, I go to uh, Sacramento or anytime I go up to visit dad or anywhere. If I'm going to be gone more than 20 miles, I always say to Hidako, if I don't make it back, you need to do this and this and this and this. I am always ready. I, death does not scare Charlie Garrett. I mean, crunchy death maybe, but, I, you know, anyway. Okay, let's get into Leviticus 20, verses 1 through 27 today. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Again, you shall say to the children of Israel, Whoever of the children of Israel, or any of the strangers who dwell in Israel, who gives any of his descendants to Molech, he shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I will set my face against that man, and I will cut him off from his people, because he has given some of his descendants to Molech, to defile my sanctuary and profane my holy name. And if the people of the land should in any way hide their eyes from the man when he gives some of his descendants to Molech, and they do not kill him, then I will set my face against that man and against his family, and I will cut him off from his people." And all who prostitute themselves with him to commit harlotry with Molech. And the person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits to prostitute himself with them, I will set my face against that person and cut him off from his people. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. And you shall keep my statutes and perform them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. For every one who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood shall be upon him. The man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress, shall surely be put to death. The man who lies with his father's wife has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. If a man lies with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They have committed perversion. Their blood shall be upon them. If a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. If a man marries a woman and her mother, it is wickedness. They shall be burned with fire, both he and they, that there may be no wickedness among you. If a man mates with an animal, he shall surely be put to death and you shall kill the animal. If a woman approaches any animal and mates with it, you shall kill the woman and the animal. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. If a man takes his sister, his father's daughter, or his mother's daughter and sees her nakedness and she sees his nakedness, it is a wicked thing, and they shall be cut off in the sight of the people. He has uncovered his sister's nakedness. He shall bear his guilt. If a man lies with a woman during her sickness and uncovers her nakedness, he has exposed her flow, and she has uncovered the flow of her blood. Both of them shall be cut off from their people. 
You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, nor of your father's sister, for that would uncover his near of kin. They shall bear their guilt. If a man lies with his uncle's wife, he has uncovered his uncle's nakedness. They shall bear their sin. They shall die childless. If a man takes his brother's wife, it is an unclean thing. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness. They shall be childless. You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my judgments and perform them, that the land where I am bringing you to dwell may not vomit you out. Then you shall not walk in the statutes of the nation which I am casting out before you, for they commit all these things, and therefore I abhor them. But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, who has separated you from the peoples." You shall therefore distinguish between clean animals and unclean, between unclean birds and clean, and you shall not make yourselves abominable by beast or by bird or by any kind of living thing that creeps on the ground, which I have separated from you as unclean. And you shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. A man or a woman who is a medium, who has familiar spirits, shall surely be put to death. They shall stone them with stones, their blood shall be upon them. When we get down to verse 22, we will once again read of the promise to Israel that they would enter and possess the land of Canaan. It would be theirs as an inheritance. It is a great promise, but it is one which is both conditional and unconditional, depending on certain things. That will be seen when we get to those verses. The nature of the promise is based on the law. That has been seen. It will be seen today, and it will continue to be seen. But there is a greater inheritance for us, which is not based on the law. And it is a promise which actually predates the law itself. Paul speaks of it several times in his writings. In the book of Romans, he speaks of it quite a bit. If it is not based on the law, though, then what is it based on? He tells us in our text verse of today, which is from Romans 4. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, clearly tells us that the law brings about wrath. Who wants that? What kind of a perverse individual would set aside faith in Christ's fulfillment of the law in order to face God's wrath? Well, there's lots of folks out there like that. And I'm not talking about Jews who have simply rejected Christ outright. I'm referring to supposed Christians who have accepted him in his person, but rejected him in his action. Unfortunately, one cannot separate a person from his actions. Just as David said to Saul, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, so righteousness proceeds from the righteous. And that means a capital R, Jesus. What Christ did was righteous, and from him proceeds righteousness. When one receives Christ and what he did, they receive his righteousness. To reject what he did is to reject what he is. Paul says that if those who are of the law are heirs, Faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. We can either live by faith in Christ, meaning all of Christ, meaning all of what he has done for us, or we can attempt to earn God's favor and obtain the inheritance apart from him. There are no other options. Israel found that out. 
and they found out that obtaining the inheritance was not so easy. In fact, they still don't have it. It is the constant and firm message of the Bible. We can honor the Lord as he determines and thus be pleasing to God, or we can set about to obtain righteousness on our own. But the Lord is determined. It is by faith in Christ Jesus and his work that we stand justified. It is by deeds of the law that we stand condemned. Do you want the promised inheritance? Then trust in Jesus. This is the message which is found once again in today's passage. It is the lesson of his superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again. And may God speak to us through his word today. And may his glorious name ever be praised. Our first thought today is dishonoring the Lord as father. It's verses 1 through 9. Verse 1, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, like the words of chapters 18 and 19, words of law lie ahead. And so the Lord speaks directly and only to Moses. Whereas the previous chapters gave moral and ceremonial laws for holy conduct towards God and fellow man, these verses will explain the penalties for violating such laws. The Lord is slowly and methodically revealing to Israel his will and the consequences for disobedience to that will. Chapter 18, after listing many of the perversions which were to be abstained from, said that it was for these things that the occupants of the land would be vomited out. He then said that any of Israel who committed these things would be cut off from among their people. Chapter 19 continued with prescribing laws for the people. Now, the specific punishments for violations will be given. This is to keep the land undefiled. If these judgments are not followed, the implication is that the land would likewise vomit Israel out. Verse 2, again, you shall say to the children of Israel, the words which are given are for the whole congregation. They are to be commonly known and adhered to by all. The only way that such laws could be expected to be obeyed is if all of the people heard them. The precepts laid down were to be commonly held knowledge and the penalties for violating them were to be made known. In this, there was to be instilled in the people the fear of consequence for failing to be obedient to these precepts. Verse 2 going on, whoever of the children of Israel or of the strangers who dwell in Israel who gives any of his descendants to Molech, he shall surely be put to death. In chapter 18, the laws of incest were mentioned first and in detail. Only then was the prohibition against giving one's descendants to Molech addressed. Now that is reversed, and the prohibition concerning Molech is stated first. As was the case in chapter 18, the Hebrew word for descendant here is zara. It simply means seed. This may actually be referring to child sacrifices, as will be seen later in the Bible, but it very well may be speaking only of a perverse offering of intimacy to the idol Molech where the man's semen is made an offering, either to a prostitute of Molech or to the idol itself. As most of the chapter deals with sexual misconduct, this is not at all unlikely and it's probably the correct view. The seed of Israel was to be kept pure and holy. It was not to be used for defiled purposes and the intent of the people was to lead to Messiah. If the people offered their seed, literal, or in the form of children, it was a direct challenge to the redemptive purposes of the Lord for bringing Messiah into the world. And so regardless as to what the offering is, the person was to be put to death. Verse 2 continues, the people of the land shall stone him with stones. 
Not only was the person to be put to death, but the Lord determines the exact type of death he was to suffer, that of stoning. In this verse is the first use of the verb ragam, or stoning, in the Bible. The act of stoning has already been mentioned eight times in Exodus, but using a different word, sakal. The two are actually synonyms, and both are used in one verse in Joshua, for example, to convey the same meaning. Here's what it says in Joshua 7, verse 25. And Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned the word ragam, him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned sakal, them with stones. Stoning, or lapidation as it is known, was the most severe means of capital punishment among the people of Israel. It was something which carried on even into New Testament times. You remember the woman caught in adultery and they challenged Jesus about it, right? It continues to be practiced by followers of Islam today. The idea of this type of punishment is that the person was no longer fit to touch. Instead, the people were to stand at a distance and destroy him ba'aben, or by a stone. The word is singular. Stone is created by God, thus this indicates that they were the instruments of God's righteous judgment upon the offender. Verse 3, I will set my face against that man and will cut him off from his people. The verse in the Hebrew begins with and. And I will set my face. It has already been said that he was to be put to death by stoning. And so this at first seems curious. But the next verses explain the matter. If the people refuse to stone him, or if there is not sufficient evidence in order to convict him, it will not in any way negate what is coming to him. The Lord promises that no matter what, one, he will set his face against him. And two, he will cut him off from among his people. For the Lord to set his face against someone is an indication of wrath and indignation. He will be the object of the Lord's fury. This then will result in the person being cut off from his people. Verse 3 continues. Because he has given some of his descendants to Molech to defile my sanctuary and profane my holy name. There are three main reasons for cutting him off. The first is that he has cut himself off through this act. He has taken his seed and offered it to a false god. This has essentially been a willful cutting off of himself from both the Lord and from posterity within the Lord's covenant people. Secondly, he has defiled the Lord's sanctuary. Through sin, the people contracted defilement. In turn, they defiled the sanctuary of the Lord, which remained in the midst of them. This was seen, for example, in Leviticus 15, verse 31, concerning uncleanness from discharges. There the Lord said, Thus you shall separate the children of Israel from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness when they defile my tabernacle that is among them. He repeats the same sentiment in Leviticus 16 as well. Thirdly, the offender would profane the Lord's holy name. This would occur in several ways. First, by acknowledging a lesser God, it would diminish the name of the Lord in the eyes of the other nations, having reduced him to the level of any false God. It would also diminish his name because the man offered his own seed to a false God, but merely only animal sacrifices to the Lord. Thus, in the other's eyes, the greater offering was made to the false God. In this, the name of the Lord would be despised by the man and disgraced in the eyes of others. Verse 4, And if the people of the land should in any way hide their eyes from the man when he gives some of his descendants to Molech and they do not kill him, there is a stress in the Hebrew here where the word hide is repeated. 
in essence, it says, and if in hiding, the people hide their eyes. It is a way of saying that the people have willingly shut their eyes to what this man has done. In this, they may know what he did and refuse to acknowledge it. Or if they simply look away from it as if it was his own business, or if they will not bear witness against him, or if the court will not find guilt in him for his action, or for any other such reason, they will have failed to act. Instead of executing him, they allow him to live. If such be the case, verse 5, then I will set my face against that man and against his family, and I will cut him off from his people and all who prostitute themselves with him to commit harlotry with Molech. When the people hide their eyes from the thing that has been done by such a man, all involved will suffer the wrath of the Lord. He will set his face against him as the offender, against his family who was aware of his actions, and he will cut off every person who was aware of but unwilling to respond against his actions. In this, the Lord says that they have prostituted themselves and committed harlotry. This is to be taken in the general biblical sense of idolatry with false gods being considered harlotry. In this case, it is with Ha-Molech or the Molech that they have so acted. The name Molech means king. By placing an article in front of it here in the Hebrew, the Lord is essentially saying that they are committing harlotry with the king. They have willfully chosen another sovereign over themselves in place of the Lord. It is the greatest of offense. In this harlotry to Molech, Israel failed several times. Solomon built a high place for Molech, and both 2 Kings 23 and Jeremiah 32 explicitly state that the people offered to Molech. It is also implicitly referred to in Ezekiel chapter 23, verse 6. And the people who, the person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits to prostitute himself with them, I will set my face against that person and cut him off from his people. This was first forbidden back in verse 1931. There the Lord said to give them no regard nor seek after them. By doing so, they would become defiled. Here, the punishment is stated as coming from the Lord. He would personally act against anyone who failed to obey this precept. A record of him doing exactly this is found in 1 Chronicles chapter 10. King Saul had sought out a medium. And the Lord acted. Here's what it says. So Saul died for his unfaithfulness, which he had committed against the Lord, because he did not keep the word of the Lord, and also because he consulted a medium for guidance. But he did not inquire of the Lord. Therefore, he, meaning the Lord, killed him, meaning Saul, and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. Verse 7. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. This is a positive command in order to battle against the need for negative ones. This is the purpose of the entire passage. The people were to stay clear of that which was unclean, morally offensive, and which would profane the name of the Lord as well as defile his sanctuary. This could only come about by refraining from such sin, punishing such sin in those who did not comply, or by purification through the sacrificial system when allowed. Verse 8, and you shall keep my statutes and perform them. The words here point not just to the statutes so far mentioned, but to all of those which had and which would issue from him. They were to both keep and perform. One can keep without performing, such as in the person who knows to do right but doesn't do it. 
one can also perform without keeping. Such would be the person who does what is right without having considered whether it's right or not. He simply acted and his actions were proper. The Lord wanted a wholeness in the people where they would mentally carry his statutes with him and also perform what they carried in their minds. Verse 8 continues, I am the Lord who sanctifies you. This is one of three times that the Lord states this in the Pentateuch, meaning the five books of Moses. He also repeats it in Ezekiel 20. The Lord told the people to sanctify themselves because he had, in fact, sanctified them. There is a mutual outworking of the sanctification which needed to occur. If they failed to do this, the Lord's sanctification of them was nullified in them. Verse 9, for everyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother, his blood shall be upon him. The verse begins with the word key or for. Therefore, it is being uniquely tied in with what was just said. To curse father or mother is to bring discredit upon the name of the Lord who ordained the genealogy of the child in the first place. In the previous chapter, the opposite of what we see here was stated. There it said, every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. Now it uses the word kalal. It means curse, but it also carries the sense of making light of something. Thus, it includes speaking disrespectfully or diminishingly of one's parents. It is the polar opposite of revering them. Further, unlike verse 19.3, where the mother was placed first, here the father is. It is a clear indication that the Lord expects equal reverence for both parents, and to do verbal harm to them is a punishable offense. In this, it says that his blood shall be upon him. In Exodus 21.17, it explicitly says that he who cursed his father or his mother was to be put to death. The words here, his blood shall be upon him, signify that. He is guilty of death, and that is what he is to receive. Lord, you are as a father to us, it is true. But we often dishonor you in thought and act. In the things we think and say and do, we diminish your glory by showing no tact. Help us to be pleasing children in your sight. Correct us when we walk in the wrong way. Illuminate our path with your guiding light and keep us, O Lord, from ever going astray. Lord, you are as a father to us, it is true, and it is our heart's desire to honor you as such, to live holy in all we think and say and do. And so when we stray, send your corrective touch. Our second thought today, dishonoring the Lord through relations. It's verses 10 through 21. Verse 10, the man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. This is the seventh of the Ten Commandments, and it is also explicitly warned against in verse 1820. In Israel, this went only one way. When a man, single or married, slept with a married woman, both were to be put to death by stoning. However, as polygamy was allowed in Israel, the same was not true with an unmarried woman sleeping with a married man. Verse 11, the man who lies with his father's wife has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. This was forbidden in 18, 7, and 8. For disobeying this, the penalty was death. Again, it says their blood shall be upon them. What they have done is deserving of death, and death is what they are expected to receive. Verse 12, if a man lies with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They have committed perversion. Their blood shall be upon them. This was forbidden in verse 18, 17. 
The act is described by a word tabel, which was first seen in 1823 in regards to bestiality. It means mixture and thus confusion. In this act, there is a confusing of what is right and proper. The lines of propriety have been completely jumbled up through such an act, and thus their blood is upon them. This is the last use of the word tabel in scripture. You can say sayonara to it. Verse 13. If a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. This was forbidden in verse 1822, and it is considered an especially revolting crime because it is contrary to nature itself. For such there was to be but one penalty, death, literally, dying they shall die. They were deserving of death, and they were to be executed. Verse 14, if a man marries a woman and her mother, it is wickedness. They shall be burned with fire, both he and they, that there may be no wickedness among you. This was warned against in 1817. Here it is described as zima, or wickedness. It literally means a plan, and thus it is an especially bad plan. The offenders devised something perverse, and for it they were to be burned with fire. Now what this most likely means is that they were to be first stoned, and then their bodies burned with fire. This is the penalty for Achan in Joshua 7.25, which I read you earlier. That account seems to interpret what this passage here means. Verse 15, if a man mates with an animal, he shall surely be put to death and you shall kill the animal. Like the perverse sin of homosexuality, the same is true with bestiality. This was warned against in verse 18.23. If such a thing occurred, then dying he shall die. And the animal was to be killed as well. This held both for man and woman. Verse 16, if a woman approaches any animal and mates with it, you shall kill the woman and the animal. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. There was no partiality or unfairness against one sex or the other. Just as if a man committed this perverse act, so it was with a woman. In the end, dying they shall die, and the beast was to be killed as well. In this, they were deserving of death, and the sentence was to be carried out. Verse 17, if a man takes his sister, his father's daughter or his mother's daughter, and sees her nakedness and she sees his nakedness, it is a wicked thing, and they shall be cut off in the sight of their people. He has uncovered his sister's nakedness. He shall bear his guilt. This was forbidden in verse 18, 9, and 11. The second clause explains the first. To see his or her nakedness means to participate in the physical act of a union, not just to behold with the eyes. This is what King David's son Amnon was guilty of, but nothing was immediately done about the crime. However, in the end, he was cut off from his people, just as promised here, when he was killed by his brother Absalom. The act here is termed a chesed, or disgrace, and the one who is so engaged in it is said to bear his guilt. The term cut off here is debated, though. Does it mean formal excommunication, or does it mean death? I say death, scholars are divided, but either way, it is a disgrace. Verse 18, if a man lies with a woman during her sickness and uncovers her nakedness, he has exposed her flow and she has uncovered the flow of her blood, both of them shall be cut off from their people. This was forbidden in verse 18, 19. The command extends to both in the use of two clauses. One, he has exposed her flow and two, she has uncovered the flow of her blood. This indicates prior knowledge by both, and they have willfully violated this precept. 
The problem with this is that it is an intimate act. And so for the punishment of being cut off from the people to be brought about, they'd actually have to openly admit the act. Verse 19, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, nor of your father's sister, for that would uncover his near of kin. They shall bear their guilt. This was expressly forbidden in 18, 12, and 13. No civil punishment is explicitly made for this offense. Instead, it simply says that they shall bear their guilt. It appears then that the Lord would determine what was suitable to the offense as he directed their lives according to his wisdom, such as seen in the next verse, verse 20. If a man lies with his uncle's wife, he has uncovered his uncle's nakedness. They shall bear their sin. They shall die childless. This was spoken against in verse 18, 14. The punishment here, that they shall die childless, is one which could carry several meanings. It seems unlikely that the Lord would divinely intervene in every such marriage, keeping them from having children. It also seems unlikely that any children born to such a union would die before their parents, thus rendering them childless at their own death. What is more likely is that any child born to such a union would not be counted as the result of that union. Instead, it would, by law, be reckoned as the child of the uncle to whom she was first married. In this, the offending man would never have his own progeny after him, and the offending woman would bear the disgrace of having a child which was not reckoned to the natural father. Such seems more than likely, and it follows through to the next verse, verse 21. If a man takes his brother's wife, it is an unclean thing. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness. They shall be childless. This was prohibited in 1816. The same penalty for the previous offense would be imposed here, bearing the same disgrace to the offenders. The explanation given seems all the more likely because the only other times that the word ariri or childless is seen in scripture are in Genesis 15 verse 2 and in Jeremiah 22 verse 30, both of which carry the connotation of bearing shame at dying without progeny. However, the person mentioned in Jeremiah 22 verse 30 actually did have children. And so it's probably speaking of what I said there. Lord God, your word is written, Old Testament and New, and the words are clear concerning sexual sin. There is intimacy we may enjoy, and there are other things we may not do. One will bring us life, by the other we are done in. But the lines are blurred even in our church today. People call evil that which is right and good. And that which is perverse is given a resounding, it's okay. How can something so clear be so hugely misunderstood? Lord God, keep us from sexual immorality, which does defile. Keep us on the narrow path where life and health is found. In paying heed to your word, we shall receive a welcome smile. And in your presence, joy and peace shall evermore abound. Lead us, O God, be near and watch over us. We come to you, O Father, through our Lord Jesus. Now, I recycled that from a couple sermons ago. I, I think Jay recognized that because I saw his head going up and down. It's very rare that I recycle a poem, but it fit perfectly with the passage, so you got to hear it twice. Our third thought today, separation unto the Lord, verses 22 through 27. Verse 22, you shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my judgments and perform them, that the land where I'm bringing you to dwell may not vomit you out. This is what is known as a prosopopoeia. It is a figure of speech in which an abstract thing is personified. In this case, the land is so personified, indicating that the sins of the people would cause it to vomit the people out. 
This was to be the case with the current inhabitants, and Israel would not be immune to such a measure if they failed to pay heed to the statutes and judgments which were placed before them now. In the end, the two exiles of Israel can only be ascribed to their own disobedience. The two returns of Israel must then be ascribed to the covenant faithfulness of the Lord, which is in accord with his mercy towards those he has covenanted with. There is no merit in Israel in their return, and there is only blame in them for their exile. Keep that in mind because Israel of today is not right with the Lord. The Lord graciously and sovereignly planted them back in the land according to his promise. They did not merit it, but I will not fight against it. A lot of people in churches in the world today fight against Israel as a nation when God has made his choice and the world will be judged because of going against that choice. Joel chapter 3, I'm going to bring all nations into the valley of Jehoshaphat and there I will judge them. And then he goes down and he explains why with two reasons. The second is because they divided my land coming soon to a tribulation period near you. All right. Verse 23. And you shall not walk in the statutes of the nation which I am casting out before you, for they commit all these things, and therefore I abhor them. Although these words are a part of the law of Moses, many of these moral standards which are directed are by the conscience. An obvious one is homosexuality. Paul speaks of this in Romans chapter 1. In fact, this entire passage here in Leviticus contains mandates which are generally considered normal in most societies. However, only through the giving of the law can sin be imputed. The natural workings of the world dictate that immorality be avoided. But once the law was introduced, a definite penalty for violating it could then be imposed. Paul explains this in Romans chapter 5 with these words. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. The law now is defining what sin is and how to avoid it and what its consequences are. As the law is now annulled in Christ, such sin is not imputed for those who are in Christ. Big distinction, though. You have to be in Christ to not have these sins counted against you. This is the marvel, though, of what God has done for us who believe in Christ. Paul explains it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Instead of imputing our trespasses to us, God has reconciled us to himself through Christ and his fulfillment of the law. That is what makes the next promise so marvelous for the Christian. Verse 24, but I have said to you, you shall inherit the land and I will give it to you to possess a land flowing with milk and honey. God promised the land to Israel, but it is both a conditional and an unconditional promise. It is unconditional in whose land it is, but it is conditional in how they may use it. When you are obedient, the land is yours and you may dwell in it. When you are disobedient, the land is yours and you may not. However, the land is theirs as an inheritance. But sometimes the inheritance wouldn't be so great. 
because even the nature of the land was subject to the obedience of Israel. This is the first and only time that the term a land flowing with milk and honey is used in the book of Leviticus. A land flowing with milk and honey implies richness and fertility. Milk comes from cows, and so it means there will be abundant pasture lands. Honey comes from bees, which pollinate flowers, and so it implies all sorts of fruit trees and herbs and flowers. Further, the term a land flowing with milk and honey has a spiritual connotation. It isn't just speaking of the physical abundance, but also of the spiritual abundance. It is the land of God's word and the people through whom that word came. The word of God is said to be sweeter than honey. It's also equated with milk that nourishes. Thus, this is a reference to that as well. The land would literally flow with milk and honey for sustaining Israel's physical lives. It would also flow with milk and honey for sustaining their spiritual lives. In looking back on Israel, it is possible to see that both the physical and spiritual aspects of this verse have come about in the land. The Lord promises them abundance now, but later in Scripture, He promises that both of these, the physical and the spiritual aspects, would be denied them for their disobedience. The conditional nature of the covenant is seen in this, and the reason is given. Verse 24 continues, I am the Lord your God who has separated you from the peoples. Jehovah their God had separated them from the peoples, and thus they were to separate themselves from the practices of the peoples. Should they fail to do this? They would be taught their lesson among the peoples. They would live in defiled lands and among defiled people because they too had defiled themselves. But, as I said a minute ago, what Christ has done for us in fulfilling the law and in granting a new covenant is far, far superior to what Israel was promised. We are free from the law and thus free from sin's penalty. God is not imputing sin to us because of our transgressions, and thus our promised inheritance cannot be conditional. Rather, the inheritance is eternal, and the mediation by Christ is superlative to that of Aaron. Here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 9. And for this reason, he, meaning Jesus, is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death. For the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Verse 25, you shall therefore distinguish between clean animals and unclean, between unclean birds and clean, and you shall not make yourselves abominable by beast or by bird or by any kind of living thing that creeps on the ground, which I have separated from you as unclean. In the previous verse, the Lord used the word badal, or separated, by saying he has separated you from the peoples. Now the same word is used again to make a theological point. As we saw in the dietary laws, each unclean animal actually carried a spiritual meaning in the New Testament. It is not that they are actually unclean, but that they were being used as types and pictures of other things for our benefit. Paul explains to us that which is recorded in the Old Testament is meant to teach us in the New. The Lord has asked them to separate between clean and unclean animals to teach them that they have been separated as clean from unclean peoples. The fulfillment of this lesson is recorded in the book of Acts, where Peter was told to eat exactly what is forbidden here in Leviticus. When he refused, the Lord told him, what God has cleansed, you must not call common or unclean. 
the dietary laws, like circumcision and like the Sabbath observance, were given as theological insights into what God would do for us in Christ. Now, our separation is a spiritual, not a physical one. We are separated unto God through Christ, not through adherence to an annulled system of laws. It's rather difficult to see how people miss this, but it is a common and it is a growing problem in the church today. Don't eat pork. You've got to observe a Sabbath. You've got to observe the feasts of Israel. This is exactly spoken against implicitly in the verses we're looking at right now. Verse 26, and you shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. These words are a close repeat of those found in Leviticus 11, verse 44, and they comprise what is essentially the central theme of the entire book of Leviticus. The Lord again says that he has badal, or separated Israel from the peoples. Therefore, they were to be holy as he is holy. It is the observance of the laws which could make this possible for them. But such was impossible. The bracketing of the dietary laws in particular by these statements of separation shows us rather clearly that those restrictions were to be markers of their separation and the nullifying of them in Acts shows us that the separation which is now found is far, far superior. In Christ, it is faith in his fulfillment of the law which makes this possible for us. And such is not only possible, it is accomplished. We are holy because he is holy. Now he asks us to be holy as he is holy. Our position will remain unchanged, but our current state is to be worked out for him and for his glory in holiness. Verse 27, a man or a woman who is a medium, who has familiar spirits, shall surely be put to death. They shall stone them with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. It seems on the surface as an odd way to suddenly end the chapter, but it fits rather well when one considers the flow of what has been said. In 19 verse 31, consulting such a person is forbidden. In verse 6 of this chapter, the penalty for consulting such a person was then given. However, now the penalty for performing as a medium or having a familiar spirit is expressly stated. Whether a man or a woman, dying they shall die. Women are specifically mentioned here for a couple of reasons. First, it has always been more common that women have acted in this capacity. This is seen throughout cultures and ages. Secondly, due to man's tendency to provide clemency towards females, the Lord specifically directs that anyone, regardless of sex, was to die. And this is to be accomplished by a stone. It is singular again. As noted before, stone is created by God, and thus Israel is to be the instrument of the Lord's righteous judgment upon such offenders who would attempt to usurp the rights and roles which belong to the Lord alone. And even in this, there is a lesson for us. As I just said, the mediums and wizards were to be stoned because they infringed upon a realm which belongs to God alone. But this is what each one of us does when we attempt to merit God's favor through deeds of the very law that we are looking at. In this, we infringe upon what Christ has done for us. We step into a realm of personal merit before God and say, I am fully capable of accomplishing those things which will make me holy. This is a place which is completely contrary to the new covenant in Christ. It is he who makes man holy because it is he who has fulfilled this law. Our righteousness is an imputed one. 
not one which is earned. To set that aside is to step into that terrible, terrible realm which belongs to Jesus Christ alone. And it is that stone, capital, that stone by which we shall die in our futile attempt at outdoing him. Let us never be found in such an unhappy position. Instead, let us hold fast to Christ. Let us be holy because he is holy and because he has made us holy. Our work is not for, but because of. If we can keep this distinction clear, we will be in the sweet spot. Let us rest in Christ, trust in Christ, and honor God through Christ. Thank God for Jesus Christ. Our closing verse comes from Romans chapter 3. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Next week is Leviticus 21, 1 through 24. My Jedediah, in those garments you sure look good. It's entitled, Suitable for the Priesthood. That'll be our 34th Leviticus sermon. And I was thinking today, you know, I give you these sermons which have 10 million points in them. And you sit there and you can't remember two points from any sermon. It's just not possible. I don't care what type of a sermon you listen to. You listen to a life application sermon over at Cheesy Street Church, and all you're going to remember is two things from that sermon. It may not be in the Bible, but you'll remember two things that he said. You know, my grandmother watched football yesterday, and that's what sticks in your head. Something like that. And I thought, I need at least once a sermon, and I'm going to try to remember to do this every time, is to give you one point that I think is very important from the sermon. So we're going to go to verse 8. This week's memory is to perform and to keep. Remember, I said you can perform without keeping and you can keep without performing. If I perform without keeping, that means I just do what's right, even though I don't know that I'm doing right. But if I keep without performing, that means I know to do right and I don't do it. The Lord asks us to perform and to keep. And I'd like you to remember that. He wants us to know this book and then he wants us to do this book, live this book. Okay, perform and keep. That's your lesson for today. Everything else, please don't forget. But if you do, and I'm sure you already have, don't worry about it. Okay, the Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. Even if you have a lifetime of sin heaped up behind you, he can wash it away and purify you completely and wholly. So follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay, if I had started this sermon talking about wastewater treatment, That is what you would remember. And I don't want to do that to you. It's very rare for me to give an introduction which has something other than something related to the Bible. I'll give one in a week or two. Maybe it's next week. No, it is. It's next week. I hope you're here or I hope that you will watch this. This happened in a church. I'm not going to tell you any more than this happened in a church that I attended in Massachusetts with my father. Okay. It was many, many years ago and it's something I've never forgotten in the church up north. Okay. It is something that pertains directly to the priesthood. And you're going to remember that, and you're not going to remember anything else from the sermon unless I tell you this. Okay, please remember this point or that point. But I want you to know that that is something that has affected me all of my days. One thing that happened in that church, and I will never forget it. Okay? Our poem today is called, In These Israel Will Be Judged. 
Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, these are the words he was then relaying. Again, you shall say to the children of Israel, these things to them you are to tell. Whoever of the children of Israel or of the strangers who dwell in Israel, who gives any of his descendants to Molech, he shall surely be put to death as to you I now tell. The people of the land shall stone him with stones, toss good and hard and break those bones. I will set my face against that man and will cut him off from his people. He will bear the blame because he has given some of his descendants to Molech to defile my sanctuary and profane my holy name. And if the people of the land should in any way hide their eyes from the man when he gives some of his descendants to Molech and they do not kill him according to my plan, then I will set my face against that man and against his family. They shall be a wreck And I will cut him off from his people and all who prostitute themselves with him to commit harlotry with Molech. And the person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits to prostitute himself in this way, I will set my face against that person and cut him off from his people. I shall perform what I say. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. These things you shall do, and you shall keep my statutes and perform them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. For everyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. It shall be so. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood shall be upon him. To the pit he shall go. The man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and adulteress shall surely be put to death. So shall end their cheating life. The man who lies with his father's wife, he has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. As to you, I address. If a man lies with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. So I to you say, they have committed perversion. Their blood shall be upon them. Such evil you shall put away. If a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. You are to be a holy nation. If a man marries a woman and her mother, it is wickedness. So it is true. They shall be burned with fire, both he and they, that there may be no wickedness among you. If a man mates with an animal, pay heed to what I now tell. He shall surely be put to death, and you shall kill the animal as well. If a woman approaches any animal and mates with it, you shall kill the woman and the animal too. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them, as I am telling you. If a man takes his sister, his father's father's daughter, or his mother's daughter, as I am telling, and sees her nakedness, and she sees his nakedness, It is a wicked thing, and they shall be cut off in the sight of the people, so it shall be. He has uncovered his sister's nakedness. He shall bear his guilt. Abide by these laws from me. If a man lies with a woman during her sickness and uncovers her nakedness, he has exposed her flow, and she has uncovered the flow of her blood. Both of them shall be cut off from their people. You shall do so. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, nor of your father's sister too, for that would uncover his near of kin. They shall bear their guilt, as I now say to you. If a man lies with his uncle's wife, he has uncovered his uncle's nakedness. They shall bear their sin. They shall die childless. If a man takes his brother's wife, it is an unclean thing, you see. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness. They shall be childless. Pay heed to these words from me. You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my judgments and perform them, no doubt, that the land where I am bringing you to dwell may not vomit you out. And you shall not walk in the statutes of the nation which I am casting out before you, for they commit all these things, and therefore I abhor them through and through. 
But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land. Things will be sunny, and I will give it to you to possess a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, who has separated you from the peoples in the land that you will trod. You shall therefore distinguish between clean animals and unclean. Check the kosher label. Between unclean birds and clean, and you shall not make yourselves abominable. By beast or by bird or by any kind of living thing that creeps on the ground, which I have separated from you is unclean. Eat only that which the law proclaims is sound. And you shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy. And I have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine, yes, to belong unto me. A man or a woman who is a medium or who has familiar spirits shall be put to death surely. They shall stone them with stones. Their blood shall upon them be. Lord God, you have from among the nations called us not to live the law given so long ago, but to live by faith in the work of Christ Jesus. And on the straight path of faith, we shall go. Our hope is found in him alone. We will not look to our own righteousness from the law like children into sons we have grown. And so in Christ, we shall praise you and your name we shall bless. Only in him we can find peace with you. Only in him are we counted as holy in your eyes. Thank you for Christ, ever faithful and true. Thank you for Christ, our heavenly prize. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this lesson, even if it's a lot of do's and don'ts and punishments tied onto it. We thank you because it shows you your holy and righteous character. And it shows us also that some of us sitting in this church today are quietly thinking, I've done that. I've done that thing and I deserve death. If I was in Israel, I would have been stoned to death and lost my chance at any happy life at all. And yet, because of Jesus Christ, we are washed clean from what we have done. It is forgiven at the cross, and we can put that burden behind us, and we can say, thank God for what you have done in Jesus Christ. And certainly we do. Those of us who have committed these things which are wrong and have come to the cross for cleansing will be cleansed. Thank you for that. Then, Lord, you certainly know that we have prayers on our hearts for certain people in our lives. We have prayers for safe travels for our guests here today to get back to Boynton Beach today. We have prayers for Paul, who is still struggling heavily with his afflictions and we would pray that people would go by and visit him and and let him know that he is loved and and cherished in our hearts we pray for amanda who is uh asked for prayers today specifically without any specifics in the prayers just that she's had a hard week and that she would like some comfort from your hand so we pray for that lord we commit the table to you the lord's supper and we just thank you that we can observe this right and that we have the freedom to do so then we would hope that we would be out of here before we lose that right and standing in your presence at the rapture of the church. And may that glorious day be sown. We look forward to it, and we thank you for that true hope that we have and that we possess. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.